Join with me in turning in the Bible to Psalm 121. Psalm 121. Listen to the Word of God. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the words of our God stand forever. So, the road trip holds a special place in our collective imagination uh, as Americans. We love the road. We're very romantic about our long stretches of highway um, and the always changing landscape in our big country. Our love of the road uh, is captured in literature and books. Um, It's captured in movies and film and probably most specifically in our songs. Um, Willie Nelson, on the road again. Johnny Cash, I've been everywhere. Bruce Springsteen sings about the road. The Eagles sing about the road. Everybody on and on and on sings about the road or life on the road. Say that the great American songbook is full of tales about the road. Today, as we're in the Psalms, we're actually reading Israel's national songbook. In Israel's songbook, um, it's different than our American songbook. It's composed as articles of worship. That's to be sung by God's people to God's glory. And Psalm 121 is a great, very specific example of this. It's the second in a group of 15 psalms, which are called the Psalms of Ascent. Literally, the songs of going up. And they were written so that God's people could sing them as they went up to the temple to worship God. This is their sort of their specific place and function, these 15 psalms. But on top of being songs just to be sung in worship, um, we also have to remember that because they're in the Bible, the psalms are also the divine, the inspired, and the authoritative word of God. So the psalms are these beautiful songs, but they're also full of rich and deep and beautiful theology, words about God, which are, of course, different than even the hymns that we sing. They're great, they're beautiful, full of amazing truths, but these are God's inspired words. And actually, if we were to consider the whole book of the Psalms, we see that God has sort of encapsulated the whole story of Scripture, the story of His work, the story of redemption in this one book, which is why Martin Luther, the German reformer, called the Psalms the little Bible. And then we see pictures of the grand scope of how God works. And that's why for the church's history, they've cared deeply and identified deeply with this book of the Bible. 
they've sung them together just as we sung a psalm together because they, they, it's truth about God's glory. It conveys God's truth to our hearts in a very powerful, specific way. But these collection of psalms, they're also songs of the road. So they're different from our, you know, our little American songbook. It's God's word, but they also speak of a journey. Specifically, this psalm and the ones in its grouping in these psalms of ascents, they're about pilgrimage, pilgrimage from exile. We read in Isaiah about judgment coming upon God's people, how they'd be carried away to Babylon in exile. These are songs of them coming back, written about Israel's return from captivity. And it's a depiction of the journey that God's people made out of bondage and out of tyranny back to the land of worship, back to the house of worship, back into God's presence, back into what they were made for, back to who they were made for. Their exilic songs, songs of the road, of the journey back home. So how does that relate to us? Well, the truth about us, if we are in Christ, if we are God's people, here today in 2023 in Kent, Ohio, and all over the world, we too are exiles. Which might come off as strange. This is your home church. You live around here. You recreate around here. You work around here. You spend your money here, your time here. And that's all true. This is your home for now but it's not your true home, your real home. The home we long for. Home is with God, our Maker, our Father. In His kingdom, the redeemed heaven and new earth. So like Psalm 121 is a song on the road for the people of ancient Israel, it's a song of the road for us, the spiritual road. It depicts God's people traveling back home. Back to be with God. I'm sure many of you have been on a, a long sort of road trip, a long sort of hike or excursion. And there always comes a point in these kinds of trips where your destination feels completely out of reach, out of touch, like you'll never get there. You feel like you've come oh so far, but you look at how many miles are left on um, your GPS system, and you're like, you've got to be kidding me. You look down at your watch and you're like, it's been at least three hours since I last checked and it's been 30 minutes. You're tired, you're sore, you're uncomfortable. It, never, it feels like you'll never make it, especially if you have kids who, for them, it's been even longer. Are we there yet? And you're like, no, but I'm thinking the same thing. How are we not there yet? The pilgrimage of life feels like that a lot of the time. It feels like we're never going to make it. That we're far away. But Psalm 121 reminds us that we will make it home. And we'll make it home because of God. Because of His covenant faithfulness to His people. We will complete our journey because the Lord is our help. We will complete the journey because God has promised to protect us. His people, who He loves forever and ever. 
He is our confidence. He is our joy. And he is why we can persevere on this road that feels like it will never end. That's what this chapter is about. That's what this song is about. As we're looking at it today, um, broken up into sort of three little chunks. We have the promise. We have the assurance. And then finally, we have the confirmation. So if you look at verses 1 and 2, we have the promise. And as we get ready to enter this passage, I want to start by asking you a question for you to think about during this time. How do you understand your relationship and standing with God? It's a question for everybody, by the way. Christian or not. That's a question we should always be asking ourselves. What do you think it means to be a Christian, to be a person of God? What is there to experience on the Christian walk? So you're taking time to think about that. I'm going to keep talking. Um, But one of the reasons that we love Scripture, we love God's Word, and there are many reasons, but here's one reason. It's realistic, which is actually a really refreshing thing, isn't it? Especially in in a world that is full of manicured images, that is full of filters and putting a nice little polish on everything. The Bible is realistic. It speaks to how things actually are. It's full of sinners. It's full of liars and cheats and murderers and all of these certain things. It's full of people who sin just like you and I. So we look at the Bible and we don't see an idealistic projection of our world. It's not some sort of nice neutered story for us to just kind of sit back and enjoy like, oh, that was nice. It's not full of optimistic proverbs and lessons about how good we can be. It isn't a sugary sweet story that skips over the fact that life is actually hard a lot of the time. It's not just saying, be happy in the face. Be happy and ignore the fact that pain exists, that brokenness exists, that hurt, loss, confusion, and death, that sin, our rejection of God exists. So as we think about that that question, what does it mean to be a Christian? What is there to experience on the Christian walk? Um, As you're thinking about that, I don't know if those things popped into your mind or not. You probably were thinking of joy and love and peace and kindness, God's mercy and grace, or the fact that we find full satisfaction in the presence of our Lord. And that is all true. You are absolutely right. God does promise that to us. But, and you know this, there are times in life that we experience distress. The author of Psalm 121 knows this. He's in great distress. In Psalm 120, he's called out to God and he's asked for deliverance from the people around him, from his enemies around him. He says, deliver me, O Lord. And now in Psalm 121, he's walking on that road back home and he's looking for that deliverance to happen. He's looking for God to be who he said he would be and to do what he said he would do. So as we look at these first two verses, um, we see that the author lifts his eyes to the hills. Why? Why does the author on his road trip lift his eyes to the hills and ask where his help comes from? Um, 
Think about it, there might be a couple of reasons. Maybe he looks to the hills because they remind him of God's majesty and grandeur and that the God who created the hills and the mountains is powerful enough to do that. He's powerful enough to, to deliver me. Maybe that's it. But the more likely explanation, the true explanation of this is that at the time this was written, the pagan worship of the people who had conquered Israel dominated the land. And what they would do is they would take shrines and they would take altars and they'd build them on the tops of hills. If you needed anything from the gods of the people around them, from Baal or from Asherah or any of the countless numbers of false gods, you would go to the hills to offer sacrifice. You would go to the hills to appease these gods. So if you're traveling Hebrew, walking back to Jerusalem, back to the temple, and you're in a valley surrounded by hills, what's really happening is that you are trust, you're tempted to go to the hills like everybody else, to follow everybody else in worship of these false gods. Come to the hills. You'll find peace there. Worship Baal and Asherah and you'll never want again. They will satisfy you. Accept and be true to yourself. You'll be happy. Live out your own truth. Be a good person. The universe will reward you. Will your dreams into existence and they will come true. I'm guessing most of you aren't Old Testament scholars and know deeply about the the worship of Baal and Asherah in those days, but I'm sure a few of those other ones you've heard before. Because like us, whoever wrote this psalm has so many voices screaming for his attention, for his worship in a time of need. He's needy, he's desperate, he's looking to help. And there are all these voices screaming in his ear saying, come here, come for, come and get help here. Asher will help you. Ball will help you. More therapy will help you. More exercise will help you. Political power will help you. Self-help gurus will help you. Just have more and better friends. Your life will be complete. You'll find satisfaction in your spouse. So just get married, complete and utter satisfaction. That's where you'll find it. Have kids, which are obviously a blessing, but have kids and find your full satisfaction in them and everything is just going to be okay. You can imagine what this is like. It creates frenzy. It creates doubt in our minds, especially when we can't find that satisfaction in the midst of our anguish and our suffering and our doubt. So he lifts his eyes to the hills and he says, where does my help come from? It's not a rhetorical question. It's an actual question of right now. I don't know. I don't know. But then we look in verse two. So does my help come in all those things? Absolutely not. No. The author states emphatically, my help comes from the Lord. My help comes from the Lord Almighty alone. So this is a, this is one, it's a positive statement of absolutely my help only comes from the Lord. But also if we consider the sort of situation that this author would have been in, that we find ourselves in when we're not sure where to turn. It's also a statement that even in our worry, in our doubt, in our uncertainty of what's going on or who to turn to, that if we turn to our Lord, that if we turn to God, 
He is always going to bring us back to himself by his grace alone. Our doubt, our worry, our, our, our frenzy doesn't separate us from his grace, even when for a time we may look elsewhere. He will bring us back to himself. If you notice the writer speaking from personal experience, he's been there. This isn't some abstract idea in his head. This is lived reality. The Lord has been his help. The Lord has been his deliverer. So as he's writing this song, he's, he's teaching, isn't he? Turn, trust into the Lord. This is an autobiographical experience. He's not making it up. And so what that means for us is that we have our own spiritual autobiography, don't we? How have you persevered this far in life? Amidst sin, immense other circumstances. Of course it's been the Lord. He's your help in time of trouble. And for the same reason, carry on. Carry on. Persevere. Encourage in boldness and truth and goodness and godliness because the Lord is your help. Take the time to sit and remember what He's done for you. When He's worked mightily, unexpectedly, or even ordinarily in your life. And best yet, of course, this is great. We have the cross, don't we? Remember what Christ did for us there. You carry that story of God's work. You've been invited into that story of redemption. And now the story of God's work in this world is now your story. And you carry that story with you wherever you go whoever you're with, and in every single circumstance, that does not change. The story of redemption is yours because God is our help. And in, time, in these times of uncertainty, of pain, and of sin, we, not be able, we might not be able to tell others, we won't be able to tell ourselves either, exactly how God will work in them, or walk with them, or deliver them, or us when we need it, but you can always point to the promises and faithfulness of God. He's been faithful for a thousand generations. He's been faithful to Israel in the midst of their sin for thousands of years. In Christ, we see His faithfulness that He came to rescue us. In His life, His death, His resurrection, we know He's coming again, that He's saved us, that He's chosen us. Because of that, He'll be your help every day of your life. He's coming again to bring us home. So our help comes from the Lord, the Maker of heaven and of earth. That's the promise. And then we find in the next few verses, verses 3 to 6, we have the promise, and then we have the assurance. And if you're looking, there's a change in verse 3. The psalmist goes from, testifying about how he lifts his eyes to the hills and that his help comes from the Lord. And then he says, again, it's a song, so he sings, and really he's actually preaching to his audience that this God who has helped me is the same God who will help you. Like he'll not allow your foot to slip or to be moved. He is your protector who will not slumber or sleep. The Lord protects you. And he's not the protector of, the, of just 
individual persons by themselves. He's the protector of all of us, of all of his people. And with this switch, he also moves from talking about God's faithful promises to assuring his people that the Lord is their protector and our affectionate guardian, that he is literally the one who is active in this role. He is currently, right now, as we sit and as we we're here today to worship God, he is sustaining you and protecting you and preserving your life. Okay, some Presbyterian participation, which we're not great at. Um, how many of you hike? I know that some of you, a lot of you will be raising your hands. Hands up, there we go. Hikers, backpackers. Um, how many of you run regularly? Okay, yep, there we go. Um, for those of you who didn't really raise your hands, do we have any walkers in the room? Yeah, you guys, we walk, right? Yeah, that's how we get places. Um, so we have the hikers, the people who got in the wilderness who do all that sort of stuff. There's dangers there, but we'll also, um, include the walkers. Um, I'm miss curbs all the time and I fall just walking on the sidewalk all the time. But what we know is that when we're walking on our feet, there are dangers. If we're thinking specifically about the wilderness, because this journey back to Jerusalem would have been through some pretty desolate places, we know that there are dangers of life on the trail or on the wilderness, or again, on the curb. Um, one of them is losing your footing and getting injured. Another one's exposure. You're out for too long. You're out in the sun for so long, you get absolutely drained of all your energy. And then there's also madness or lunacy that's brought on by being alone for too long of a time. If you watch the TV show Alone, which is absolutely psychotic, you'll know exactly what I mean. And we see this in this verses. We see verse 3, he will not let your foot be moved. The Lord is your keeper. He's your shade by your right hand. And then verse 6, the sun will not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Um, the Hebrews had this category. They had sunstroke, and then they had moonstroke. And they thought that being exposed at night made people go crazy, whether there was a full moon or not. But we also know that things go bump in the night. And the night can be very scary, especially if we're out there and we were, we are all alone on this long journey. And you know that if you're on this long journey, you're all alone, and any of these things happen to you, you're in big trouble. You lose your footing, you sprain an ankle, you break a leg, and you got many miles to go. You're all alone, you're in trouble. You take on certain dangers when you go out by yourself. But on the journey of salvation... Any attempt to reach salvation, to achieve redemption, to find fulfillment and everlasting joy and rest is not just a dangerous attempt like going out into the wilderness by yourself. Chance might be slim that you'll be rescued, but there's still a chance. But on the spiritual walk, you've got no chance. It's a deadly decision to do that on your own. If the journey being described here in this and this song was up to us, we'd fail and our lives would completely fall apart. 
And here is our assurance that we are not alone. Though we may feel like it, though it may seem like it, we are not alone. Our companion is just not some ordinary backpacking buddy either. It's the God of the universe. The mighty God who made everything. And He made everything, and He made us, and He loves us better than anyone could. And because of that faithfulness that He has promised to us, God's care is always upon you. He is watching over you with intent and purposefulness. It's constant, it's vigilant, it's enduring. If you look in 3 and 4, it says God doesn't sleep. He says it twice, just in case you missed it the first time. Your God doesn't slumber. No, He doesn't sleep. God doesn't sleep on duty. He doesn't sleep while you're walking through this life. He's always on duty. He's busy taking care of the whole world, and He never gets tired to look after you. Unlike some other gods, the actual gods that Israel was tempted to go to the hills to worship. This language of God sleeping and slumbering might remind you of another story in the Old Testament. Um, the story of the prophet Elijah in 1 Kings 18. And we see that in this passage, um, we have Elijah and we have the prophets of Baal facing off in a contest to see whose deity is the true God. This is actually the really cool thing about this passage, but then also the, uh, the Old Testament. If you read this passage really closely, you'll notice it's not actually really between them. It's actually a, like a divine boxing match, a divine gladiator match to the death. It's God versus God. It's Baal versus Yahweh. And a lot of the Old Testament is actually like that. You think of Genesis 1. Um, a lot of the nations around Israel would have worshipped the sun, the moon, the land, the animals. And basically, God's like, I made all that. I made your gods, and I'm going to keep showing you that they are powerless and worthless. But in this story, this contest between Baal and the God of Israel, our God, Baal isn't answering his prophets. They're dancing around asking for fire from heaven. And if you look in 1 Kings 18, beginning in verse 27, I love this. Um, At noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. He's teasing them. What they're doing is foolishness. Skip down another verse in the verse 29. The prophets of Baal are cutting themselves. They're doing everything they can to appease their God. And we look and it says, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. That's incredibly haunting. They had put their whole lives, their whole hearts, literally their whole bodies into worshiping this God. And in the time of need, when they desperately needed to prove himself, it's nothing but crickets, deafening, tragic silence. If we keep reading, Elijah doesn't have to go to all these wild shenanigans for God to make himself known because God always hears his people. He always answers his people's call because God is always with us. He doesn't need to take a bathroom break like Baal did. He doesn't sleep, never needs a short nap. He never gets tired, and he never gets bored of preserving our lives. No matter how tired we are, no matter 
how much we're tempted to look away from Him and pursue other means of satisfaction. God is never tired or bored or frustrated to the extent where He says, forget it. Forget it. My protection will not be over you anymore. No, He is there for us. He's, I am there for the specific purpose to watch over you, hold you up, especially because of the fact that you are not able to. I don't sleep. I don't slumber. I don't rest. And isn't that the good news? Isn't that incredible news? It's beautiful truth. It's beautiful truth that exists, that is real, no matter what your experience is. You might feel the opposite, beaten down, broken, but God's actually holding you up and sustaining you because He promised that He would. He promised that you would make it home intact, alive, back to Him. And why does He do it? Why? It's not because of you. It's not because of me. It's because God can't help it. That's His nature is to be faithful. It's His nature to do so. It's in His character. It's impossible for God not to exercise care for His people because God does not do ungodly things. God promises, always delivers. God is faithful, even when we are faithless. It doesn't depend on our works or on our feelings or even how near you might feel to Him in a given moment. God is always right there beside you. So take comfort knowing that the God who calls you to faith and repentance is a faithful God who then delights in caring for you, for lifting you up, for redeeming you because you are His beloved child. And that truth doesn't change no matter what's going on with you. Rest in it. Live in it. Be in the words. Sit in the words of this psalm. Sit in God's words. Sit in prayer. When God asks us to come to Him, to be in His Word, to experience His truth and meet Him in prayer, it's not some sort of arbitrary command because it makes Him feel good. It is for our benefit so that we may know His unending grace, to feel His endless compassion, to experience His undying undying love. It's that same love. That same love that compelled Christ to take up the cross and die for you, die for me, die for all of God's people. That is the assurance we have in our Lord. So we have the promise, we have the assurance, and in the last two verses we have the confirmation. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. And again, like this is the cross, isn't it? Our confirmation that He gave up His life so that we may have our life. So that evil would not steal our life away. Again, here's the great temptation. We read that. The Lord will preserve our life. That He will keep you from all evil. And what we're tempted to think is that that means that because of faith in Christ, everything is going to be okay. That's kind of what this country is founded on, isn't it? Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness come here and you'll get it no matter what nothing will stand in your way it'll always be there 
pleasure, ease, and comfort are yours. Instant food, instant entertainment, free same-day shipping, access to great health care. Obviously, an amazing education is at your fingertips no matter what. You'll have endless job opportunities after that, after you complete school. The promise of good health, retirement, long life, that is the markers, the mileposts of a good, worthwhile, flourishing life that is well worth our time and our effort. That kind of thing has seeped its way into the church in a lot of ways, isn't it? Hasn't it? We confuse comfort for blessing. The American writer uh, Flannery O'Connor speaking about um, the promises in the Christian life, a woman who herself was well acquainted with um, endless and chronic suffering until her death, so she knows what she's talking about, said, if you're looking for comfort, go get yourself an electric blanket. But if we lose these things, we'd, we'd be perplexed, and that's okay. In those moments of worry and fear that we do experience, that we know is because of sin, that is because of the power of the devil, so they should perplex us. Our enemy swoops in and he tempts us to believe that God is no longer holding us up, like this passage says. He's no longer watching over us, like this passage says. And he's no longer protecting and preserving our lives, like he said he would. And that's the age-old trick, isn't it? God, I mean, the devil twisting God's words. Twisting his words, misshaping them. Oh, you just lost your job? God said all of these things? Obviously, he's not looking out for you. You've been diagnosed with cancer or another disease. God told you he's watching over your life. What about that? A dear friend or a family member just suddenly passed away. I thought God kept the life of his people. Do you know why you're experiencing all of these things? Why you're experiencing all these horrors, all these things of sin? Because God's sleeping on the job. He said he'd protect you. Obviously, he's not. He's twisting God's word. And they're just lies, lies, lies in order to deceive us, to draw us away from life and into death. Eugene Peterson writes, The promise of this psalm, and both Hebrews and Christians have always read it this way, is not that we shall never stub our toes, but that no injury, no illness, No accident, no distress will have evil power over us. That is, nothing will separate us from God's purposes in us. Nothing will separate us from that life with Him forever. Nothing will separate us from the glory that God promises us in the new heavens and the new earth and His kingdom. Nothing will do that. Evil will be kept from us. He will keep our lives forever and ever, our comings out, our goings in, all of this forevermore until we are with Him. So we will experience these things. It's inevitable. We can't escape it. Death is the last enemy. Suffering is the last enemy. Someday our hearts will stop beating. Our lungs will no longer fill up with oxygen. There will be a funeral. There will be a burial. That's all. Something that we can't expect. That's what experience tells us. But there's something greater beyond that. Something greater that we can expect and that we can look forward to. And is our sure hope as Christians 
is that our lives are protected forever, no matter what, by God. We continue to live, although we die, and we will be resurrected with Christ when His kingdom comes. There isn't anything, any grave that can hold our bodies down, that can snatch our lives away from our Lord, from our Savior, who holds us from ever. From this time and all the way into eternity, like God promises, He keeps our lives, protects our souls. And during their exile in Babylon, God's people trusted, they came back to trust, that He would see them through all of their longing to be home and all of their suffering in a foreign land. Can you imagine being taken a thousand miles away against your will and meant to live for generations in a land that was not your own? When the land that you've come from was not only just your home, but was promised by God as a proof of His faithfulness to you, as a proof that He would make a people for Himself and they would be established forever, and now you're not there? There's no land, there's no king, there's no temple. Can you imagine the pain that that would cause in generations of people. But they held on to this fact that they would come back, that they would go up, that they would worship God again in His place. They held tightly to the promise that they would get home safe. And like all His promises, it did come true. They sang these songs on the way up to the temple. And today, by faith, we can have that same assurance. That the Lord will bring His people home that the exiles will be brought back. Strangers will become part of his family. Sinners will be redeemed. Prodigals will return. The new city of God will be built. And in it, God will be the glory and we will be home with him. After all, that's what Jesus promised before he left, isn't it? I'm with you always to the end of the age. Let us pray. Lord, we ask that you seal these words upon our hearts and in our minds that we may always turn to you in our times of difficulty and of struggle, knowing that, Lord, your promises always come true. No matter our failings, no matter our struggles, no matter the circumstances of our life, that our help comes from you and from you alone. May we delight in that, find joy in that, and peace in that. May we encourage each other in that truth, and may that be the thing that we give to the world around us, saying that all these gods around you that you search for, that you seek after, that you look to for life, they're fake, they're false, they're not true, they're not real, but we know the God who is. Come, enjoy Him, trust in Him, taste of Him, and see that He is good. Lord, help us remember that, remind our hearts of that as we come to Your table. Knowing that Your grace is unending, Your love is undying, and that You will do as You have promised forever and ever and ever. And we ask and pray this in Your holy name. Amen.